0: The following is a message by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us
1: at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474.
0: Let us pray together. O Lord our God, how we do rejoice to be assured and reminded by your word that you have never forsaken those who seek you, that you are the refuge for the souls of your people in troubled times, and that therefore you are near to us. You are near to us in your word. You are near to us in your Savior. You are near to us in the Holy Spirit. And we pray that as we gather today to worship you, to rejoice in you, uh, that you will draw near to us and open our hearts and our eyes to your word and to the rich things in your word that we might be drawn closer to Christ, to know him better, and to be thankful for all of the work that he has done for us. So bless us, be with us, and strengthen us, and receive our praise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We gather at the beginning of this uh, academic year to worship God together. Uh, We gather in this way because we are not simply an academic community, but we are also a believing community. Uh, We are not the church, uh, but we are Christians who gather together and who uh, want not only to study, but also to praise God, uh, to listen to his word, to worship and rejoice in him. And so uh, we gather uh, today. Uh, to pray, to hear God's word read, to hear God's word preach, and let us rejoice in God together.
1: I ask you to take your Bibles in hand and let's open them and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, through Matthew chapter 2, verse 18. So Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, hear now uh, the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them from Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, a star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise! and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired Word.
2: Let us pray for God's blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the high heavenly places. Not least of your blessings, O Lord, indeed the greatest one is our Lord Jesus Christ, who became man for us, was born of the Virgin, that we might not die in our sins, but you gave him up for us. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead, the great one, who rules over all this world even now and in the future in a glorious kingdom that we long for. Until that day, O Lord, not least of your gifts to us to encourage us on the way is your scripture where you have given us your very word. And in it you have hidden uh, great uh, riches, gems, and gold, and uh, more valuable than any other wealth we could ever acquire. And yet, O Lord, too often we either have uh, opaque glasses on or we have blinders on. We pray, O Lord, that you would clear our eyes, that we may see your word aright, and that we may, in uh, seeing it, uh, apprehend its beauty and strength and uh, hide in our hearts That we may obey your word and live according to it and glorify you with our words and our thoughts and our deeds, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: It was always a great privilege for me to be able to open the academic year by uh, preaching before the faculty and the student body, and um, this year I didn't have time to prepare a message, so I just took out an old Christmas sermon, Uh, actually not. Uh, I have been uh, thinking about this text for some time and am rather fascinated by it, particularly by one phrase in this uh, text, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 14, Joseph being a just man. It's an interesting phrase. Have we ever paused over it? Um, There is so much in Matthew 1 and 2 that uh, uh, perhaps we rush on to to stories and events uh, that are more familiar and perhaps we think more significant. That's a very interesting statement, isn't it? Joseph being a just man. The ESV here simply repeats the language that was found in the King James Version. Uh, In the uh, NIV, uh, we read, Joseph was a righteous man. And that's perhaps a slightly better translation, or at least one that uh, sounds a little more familiar to the modern English ear. Joseph being righteous. What does that mean? What can that mean? Uh, What should it mean for us? You know, I think the scripture helps us see who we are in Christ. And it does that in a variety of ways because who we are in Christ can be described in a a wide range of ways. Uh, Luther, if I dare quote him, um, captured that brilliantly in the phrase simul justus et peccator, at the same time righteous and a sinner. Who are you in Christ? Well, you're still a sinner. Who you are you in Christ? You are a forgiven sinner. Who are you in Christ? You are righteous by the imputation of his perfect righteousness. Who are you in Christ? You are righteous by the sanctifying work of his Holy Spirit. We are many things in Christ. I think, perhaps because of the moment in history in which we live, we have given more attention, understandably, to the fact that we are in Christ yet sinners, and to the fact that we are in Christ with the imputation of His perfect righteousness, than perhaps we have given to certain other ways in which the Bible speaks about us. And that's why I thought we might meditate together this morning on this interesting phrase, Joseph. Being righteous. I believe Joseph was righteous because of the imputation of Christ's perfect obedience to him, but I don't think probably that's what this phrase is meant to highlight here. I think this statement about Joseph falls into an interesting class of verses in the scripture that perhaps are. A little difficult for us from time to time. In Job 1 verse 8 we read, Have you considered my servant Job a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? What if I were to say, have you considered my servant Joshua Vene, A blameless an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. I'm afraid that Josh might be tempted to respond with Luther, non sum, non sum, it is not I. Or consider David, David, who in Psalm 26, verse 1 wrote, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Has David read about David? (laughs) (laughs) Or consider the intriguing description of Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents in Luke 1 verse 6. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. There's an interesting statement. Or consider... What Paul writes of himself in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So is, is this one of Paul's Wesleyan verses? Uh, is Paul proclaiming himself perfect here under the moral law of God? Or is something else going on here? Something that also allows us to say, Joseph, being a righteous man. What does that mean? Well, I think scripture tells us here in Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, what is really in mind when Joseph is described as a righteous man, and I think this is very important for us To think about as we begin an academic year of study of the word of God, because I believe that the scripture is telling us that the kind of righteousness being attributed to Joseph here has everything to do with his response to the word of God. We are not being told that Joseph is morally perfect, but we are told that he is a faithful son of God in the covenant of grace and that he is responsive to God's word in a way that appropriately leads to the conclusion he is a righteous man, not in himself, but in Christ. And so Joseph, even in his righteousness, does not cause us to honor Joseph, but calls us to honor Christ. It's interesting, as I was thinking about this text Last spring, those of us who are not pastors are able to allow a sermon to germinate somewhat longer than uh, those faithful men working week by week, where Sunday seems to come around with great regularity. Um, As I was thinking about this and working on this, uh, on April the 27th of this year, the Roman Church declared. John Paul the twenty-third, and John Paul, uh, John the twenty-third, and John Paul the to be saints, to be holy men, to be righteous before the Lord. I think that action by the Roman Church is light years away from what is being described for us here in Scripture. Uh, this is a righteousness that is achievable, not just. For for Roman pontiffs, or just for some separated category of special Christians. But this is a righteousness laid before all Christians as attainable. How is Joseph righteous? What are we told about the righteousness of Joseph here? The first thing we are told, I believe, is that Joseph knows the word of God. This is the first element of the righteousness that is attributed to him here. He knows the word of God. What is his reaction to hearing that his fiancée is pregnant? His reaction is not what W.H. Auden attributes to him in the poem, where Joseph is supposed to have thought, Is Mary pure? Are you sure? His first reaction is to think about the word of God, and the verse that comes to mind is Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. How often does Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 come to your mind? Joseph knew the word of God. And Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts her away and sends her out of his house, then she departs out of his house. That's what the law of God says. That's what Moses said. Joseph knew that. Joseph knew the word of God. And that's how he reacts. That's what motivates him. That's what he intends to do. And her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He knew Deuteronomy 24 verse 1. Do you notice he also knows something about the spirit of the law? He doesn't want to put her to shame. He wants to do this quietly. I would suggest, perhaps running the risk of reading too much into the text, I would suggest Joseph is no Pharisee. He reacts with love to Mary. He does not want to shame her. He doesn't want to hold her up to public ridicule. He does not want to wrap himself in the righteousness the Pharisees claim for themselves and humiliate her as if the law were an occasion for arrogance. But he knows the spirit of God's people. And so he's going to put her aside quietly. He knows the word of God. And I think just in case we might miss the point. Matthew provides a sharp contrast for us through Matthew 1 and 2. The contrast between Joseph the righteous and Herod the wicked, Herod the vile, Herod the pretender, and the contrast is very specifically and and consciously drawn between two royals. Joseph is David's son, but he doesn't sit on a throne, although royal blood flows in his veins. He's humble. He's out of the way. He's not important. But he's contrasted with Herod, who is king, who is king of the Jews not by royal descent or lineage, but by the action of the Roman Senate. That was an efficient way to become king, but not a godly way. Herod was a great man, he was a great builder, he was a clever strategist, he was a typical politician, one might say. He gave money both to build the temple in Jerusalem and to build the temple of other gods. Gotta cover your bases in life. And he was a murderer. Killing his wife and at least three of his sons. Charming fellow. He was wicked. And you notice how Matthew presents him to us, he did not know the word of God. When wise men from the east came and said, we have heard the king of the Jews has been born, not surprisingly, Herod was alarmed, and what did he have to do? He had to call in experts in the word to find out where this child would be born. Herod didn't know the word. Here's a a contrast, you see, being drawn very carefully by Matthew and reminding all of us that if we would be righteous children of Christ in the new covenant, we need to know the word of God. It's foundational to who we are and, and who we need to be. The church, through all of its history, displays over and over again that when the church wanders away from the word of God because it doesn't know the word of God or because it doesn't heed the word of God, it plunges itself into terrible trouble. And here Herod is held out before us as one who does not know the word of God, does not know the prophecy of Micah, is unacquainted with Micah chapter 5. Of course, this does come as a challenge to us too. Do we know Micah chapter 5 that much better than we know Deuteronomy 24? And, And what's really laid before us is that Matthew not only knows the word of God, but he knows the God of the word. And Herod does not know the word of God. It does not know the God of the word. There's the contrast. Almost always in the scripture when the righteousness of God's people is highlighted, it's done in the context of a contrast. When David says, I have walked in my integrity, he is not claiming moral perfection. He is claiming that he's a faithful son of God's covenant of grace over against the enemies who would destroy him. And that's what we see here too. Joshua, uh, what's his name? Joseph. Joseph is righteous, particularly in contrast to the wickedness of Herod. And so, Joseph knows the word of God, and Joseph grows in the word of God. I worked hard at this outline. I want you to pay attention. Joseph grows in the word of God. How do we see that in this text? Well, the angel comes and speaks to him. He comes with the word of God to him. Now, this is uh, not uh, put in the word of God to encourage us to seek angels visitant, uh, to seek private revelations. Uh, This is put in here to show us that Joseph lives in a remarkable time in redemptive history and that he is growing in the word of God as the angels come really to preach to him and to show him, out of the word of God, That what the prophets had been looking forward to is now being fulfilled. You notice how each time the angels come to Joseph, they not only tell him the truth and give him direction, but they cite the word of God to validate their teaching. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, said the prophet. Out of Egypt have I called my son, said the prophet. Um, He shall be called a Nazarene, said the prophet. We can talk about that more later. But that's what's happening here. We're seeing the fulfillment of the word of God as Joseph is privileged to increasingly understand that Messiah is coming, that Messiah is now here, that the long-expected Jesus has come to his people to deliver them from their sins. And you notice Joseph the righteous does not for a moment say, oh, isn't that nice that he's coming for the unrighteous? I don't happen personally to need a savior because I'm righteous. But it's nice for other people who are sinners. That's not how Joseph reacts. Joseph reacts by knowing, recognizing that all that he has is by grace and that that grace flows from the savior, Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. And so the angels come, or the angel comes to Joseph and directs him on how to grow in the word. Gives him very specific information. The Christ is the one whom Mary is carrying. Take Mary as your wife. Name the baby Jesus. Go to Egypt. Come back from Egypt to Nazareth a lot of directions. And Joseph grows as he hears this word, as he comes to appreciate what God is doing. Joseph at every point shows himself to be a believer of the word and a receiver of the word. He is not a critic of the word. He is not a doubter of the word. But he recognizes always in the word of God that God has come to him, that God has spoken to him, that God has a purpose for him. And that's remarkable. This is the righteousness of Joseph, that he trusts the word of God, that he rests in the word of God. He doesn't try to take away from the word of God. He doesn't try to add to the word of God. He doesn't try to improve on the word of God. He doesn't regard the word of God as somehow passe, and we can do better and go further on our own. He recognizes the word of God as truth that he needs and, and this is crucial for the church today and for you who would be teachers and preachers and leaders in the church because there are so many in the church today who pay lip service to the word of God and then go out on their own to do their own thing One of my favorite examples of that is in the story of the angel coming to the parents of Samson. The angel comes to Samson's mother-to-be and says, you're going to have a child, even though you've been barren, and you are to raise this child separated to the Lord. So she tells her husband, her husband is intrigued by this, the husband prays that the Lord would send the angel again so that the angel could give them more information. And the angel comes back and he says, you're going to have a child and you're going to raise him separated to the Lord. I need more information. That's not enough information to raise a child on. Don't you realize, angel, there are are books on childbirth? I want you to recommend one. Notice that. Samson's father feigns piety by asking for more information. And the Lord, in effect, disciplines him by saying, Let's start by you doing what I ask you to do in the first place. Raise him separated unto the Lord. Work at that. When you get that one down, then maybe there will be point two. And, and I think this is so much where we are in the church. It's so nice that God gave us the Bible, but you know, there's so many things the Bible doesn't tell us. Let's add to the Bible, piously. And I think we have to come back again and again and again and to say... Not only do we need to confess that the Bible is true, but we need to confess that the Bible is complete and sufficient, and that we need to work at making the Bible's priorities our priorities, instead of trying to find tidbits out of the Bible to help us with the priorities we've already established. Joseph is righteous because he knows the word, and because he grows in the word. And that growth is always a sensitivity to the word, a listening to the word, a believing of the word. And those of you who are clever or even not so clever now know what the third point must be. If he is righteous because he knows the word and because he grows in the word, then it must be that he's righteous also because he shows the word. If you didn't get that, you know, Dennis Johnson is waiting for you. What does that mean that he shows the word? Well, he shows the word by being obedient to the word. That trust in the word turns into actually following the word. And and following the word was not easy for Joseph. The, The Bible doesn't psychologize for us whether, in fact, Joseph wrestled with this question of Mary's purity. But what we do know is the word of God said, Mary, Mary, and he did. The word of God said, name the baby Jesus, and he did. We don't know how hard those were for Joseph. But when the angel came and said, they're after you, and after the child, get up and go to Egypt, that was not easy. But he did. And after he'd been in Egypt, we don't know exactly how long. He went to Egypt without knowing how long. Just go to Egypt and wait until I come to get you. And he did. And then when the angel came and said, return now, he returned. You see how Joseph is showing in his life, but he knows the word, has grown in the word, believes the word, trusts the word. What a contrast with Herod. Herod, when he heard the word that the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem, what's the first thing that he does? He lies. Oh, that's wonderful that he's born in Bethlehem. Go and find him and then tell me exactly where he is. So I too may go and worship him. He doesn't believe the word. He doesn't want the word. He doesn't trust the word. He wants to use the word to find the Messiah for what purpose? Not to worship him, but to kill him. Here we see again, the contrast that is as great as possible between Joseph the righteous and Herod the wicked. Herod who hates the word of God, wants to crush the word of God, to stop the purposes of God for his own sake and his own glory. That's what Herod is doing here. Now, you know I trust that there is a psalm for person Appropriate occasion. And if you wanted a psalm for Joseph the righteous to sing, it would be Psalm 5. We're going to sing it later. But listen, listen to Joseph, the son of David, as we might imagine him praying David's psalm, Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God. For to you I cry, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. And watch. Here are the words of a faithful king. And as he meditates on on this truth, he concludes in verse 12, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield, here is is David and Joseph reflecting on God's mercy to his people. But then he thinks about the contrast, verse four, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Can you imagine a much better prophecy of Herod than that? But David and Joseph go on, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, your chesed, your covenant mercy, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me." Here, here is poetic expression of the life of Joseph and the faithfulness of Joseph and the trust of Joseph in his God and in his ways and in his gracious provision of a sacrifice to cover sin, and a contrast with the wickedness of he who proclaimed himself king of the Jews. And so, I think the scripture is holding out to us a model. I hope this is not exemplarish preaching. But I think the scripture is holding out to us an example of the righteousness in the covenant of grace to which we ought to aspire. And which by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can move That we would be a people who know the word, who grow in the word, and who show the word. Not so that we can proclaim to the world, look how righteous I am. But so the world can look at us and say, what a difference Christ has made. What a difference Christ has made. And so let us dedicate ourselves in this new academic year to this great purpose, that we would be a people of the word, that we would use our time and our energy to know the word, that we by faith would be growing in the word to trust it and believe it, and that more and more our lives might show it to the world. May God grant that grace to us. Let us pray. Father, we do pray that you will help us in this year to come to know you better by knowing your word better. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would use us and bless us to that great end. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let us turn together.